This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 7th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, Dr. Colliker's COVID experience, Telski gets political, Telluride Open Container Zone is no more, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, the Telluride Via Ferrata is temporarily closed due to a hardware issue. Telluride Mountain Club director Heidi Lauterbach says no one has been hurt as a result of the issue and says the closure and repair is proactive. She notes they hope to have the Via Ferrata open again by the afternoon on Friday, October 8th. Since the early days of the pandemic, Dr. Deanna Colliker has been one of the main voices discussing the risks of and protections from COVID-19. Now, she can speak from personal experience, because recently, despite being fully vaccinated, she came down with a case of COVID. And it was remarkable how ill I became. Colliker is the medical director of emergency and trauma services at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and Telluride EMS director. She spoke on KOTO on Thursday. You know, everybody's a little different, but I got um, fever and um, a really terrible cough um, deep down in my chest um, and uh, lost my sense of smell. Um, and for a, a number of days, I was, I was really quite ill. She was sick for a little more than a week. And the thing is, she felt well, she says, until she didn't. You know, the day that I got sick, I, I worked all, or I, you know, did meetings all day. I ran three and a half miles and felt well. I, you know, cooked dinner for my family. And then that night... I started with a cough, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. In retrospect, she says it's scary to think she was infectious that whole day. And luckily, I, anybody that I saw indoors, we had masks on. And, um, you know, other than my, my husband, I don't know of anybody else that um, I spread that virus to, but I most certainly could have in that day or two days before I developed symptoms. Um, it just spoke to me how important it is to still kind of keep your guard up. And Colliker adds, she's in good health. I am not one of those high-risk people that COVID should be affecting, and it markedly affected me and my lungs. Still, even though she had a breakthrough case, Colliker thinks it would have been worse if she was unvaccinated. I am so thankful that I had that extra layer of protection from this virus that kept me from getting super sick. Her message to the wider community remains the same. Be cautious and get vaccinated. When it comes to off-season travel, she says people should consider the risk factors, but also... I think you got to balance that with... Um, you know, trying to live your life and, and enjoying, um, you know, what we have um, around us and your, and your time and, um, you know, just trying and mitigate risk as much as you can. As flu season begins, Dr. Colliker also urges everyone to get a flu shot. 
San Miguel County will host free flu shot clinics throughout October in Telluride and Norwood. A full list of dates, times, and locations, as well as how to register for the clinics, is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov under the Public Health tab. The Telluride Ski and Golf Resort has undergone a number of changes over the past year and has a number of new projects on the horizon. This week, Telski officials hosted a community update to share what's in store. KOTO's Julia Caulfield was there and brings this report. Housing is at the top of everyone's mind in San Miguel County. On Wednesday, speaking before a full Telluride Conference Center and participants on Zoom, the Telluride Ski and Golf Resort waded into the political waters and took a stand on the two housing initiatives going before Telluride voters this November. 2D just says let's stop making any more vacation rental licenses. Let's not issue any more. Let's hold off for two years and reassess where we are. But we're not going to take any away. 300 essentially limits it to 400 and kind of cuts it in half. So from, from our perspective, we would like to see the community not cut them in half. That's Telski's Chad Horning. During the community presentation, Horning failed to mention a number of exceptions part of Measure 300, which would exempt locals who rent their primary residence from the cap, in addition to commercial developments that prohibit owner occupancy of a unit. He acknowledged and supported the exemptions after a member of the public brought them up during a question-and-answer period. And while Horning is opposed to Measure 300, he also says he understands why it got on the ballot. I've been down in Telluride. I've seen how busy it's gotten. I've seen, I've talked to people. I know people that haven't been able to stay here and live here. I feel like 300 was a cry for help to say, somebody's got to do something. We need to do something. We all need to do something. We cannot sit back here and let this happen. He adds he's not fully certain of the impact to the community if 300 passes. I gotta be just totally upfront on that. We don't really fully understand the impact of 300. We've tried to figure it out, but we haven't really had the time or just the resources to really understand it. Um, what I can tell you is that if it passes with a, with, and, and there's a big community push behind it, meaning the community really doesn't want these beds, they don't want the visitors, they wanna cut back, it would force us to reevaluate everything. Horning says that could include a reevaluation on a timeline to build more affordable housing or capital upgrades to lift nine. According to Horning, from the ski resort's perspective, the region needs to be adding more hotbeds. Those are hotel units, ideally, or short-term rentals. We're, we're working on a capital plan. We're working on workforce housing. We're working on all of these things that we can't do if the community is going to be reducing beds. I mean, we just can't do them. We're not going to be in a financial position to do them. As a matter of fact, we need to grow the beds. And the more hotel beds we grow, the more residential beds there can be available. Right now, Telluride in particular has very, very few hotel beds. With that said, most of the year, the hotels San Miguel County already has aren't full. Horning says on average, they are about 50%, bumping up to full capacity during peak times. During the peak periods is when we're short on the beds. We're not short during the low periods. And uh, unfortunately, resort communities often are that way, so we have to build the beds for the, to those peak periods. Still, Horning says Telski doesn't want to see the resort at peak periods 
all season. We don't want it busy like Christmas all year round here either. We think that's overwhelming and it's too much. What we really want to do is pick up those low periods and, and, and when we build more rooms, Christmas would get a little bit busier. When it comes to increasing hotels and hotbeds, Horning says Mountain Village has several projects in the works. One lot is north of the gondola station in Mountain Village. TMVOA and Telski work together to sell those two pieces to a developer for a global recognized five-star brand. Can't really say names, but it's going to be a great brand. And uh, we're really excited about that. They're hopefully close to putting in their application. They're under contract. They're moving forward. Another just south of the gondola station. And that's a piece of land that the ski company owns, and we're working on a plan to submit to the town for a really, really cool boutique hotel. I mean, just one of the top ones in the world. It'll put the little Nell to shame. Two other lots sit next to the peaks, which Horning hopes could serve as an expansion of the hotel. Horning adds increasing hotbeds or even maintaining the current level will require additional local housing. In that regard, Horning says he wants Telski to lead the charge. The company is currently working on two housing projects. Our first project is what we call the Ilium units. It's right down by two rivers. This project is fully approved. It's um, uh, 32 units, about 80 bedrooms. It's going to be everything from single family to townhomes to, I think there's one triplex. Horning says they plan to break ground on the Ilium units in the spring, with some units available for move-in by mid to late summer 2022. The second project is in the Meadows area of Mountain Village. We've got 108 units, 270 bedrooms. Wow. This is, an, this, is a, this is a project we're really, really excited about and we're pushing forward really hard on. He notes all the Telski units will be deed-restricted or employee housing. Adding in other projects from the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association, the town of Telluride, and the town of Mountain Village, Horning says there are over 300 units coming down the pike in the next several years. Still, he acknowledges it's not enough. People are doing some things, but we're behind the eight ball. We're not where we need to be. During Wednesday's presentation, Telski officials also updated the community on a number of capital projects the ski resort plans to undertake in the coming years. Tune in to KOTO News on Friday to hear more. It's now a little harder to drink alcohol in Telluride. Throughout the pandemic, relaxed state laws have allowed the town to expand open consumption for takeout alcohol. Initially, that was limited to portions of Colorado Avenue and a couple of other discrete areas. That's town attorney Kevin Geiger providing an overview of the local open consumption allowances to town council at their meeting on Tuesday. And then there were two extensions to that original resolution. One occurred in October of last year and another occurred in May of this year. And it basically extended that area to um, permit the consumption in an area basically from Columbia Avenue down to either San Juan or Pacific and bounded by uh, Willow and Aspen. But the state level relaxations that allowed that open consumption are done. That authority for local jurisdictions to use the exemption to the suspension of the open public container law, um, that has now expired and your resolution uh, is therefore also expired as to that provision. For their parts, Council Member Geneva Shawnette and Mayor Delaney Young are bummed. Sad to see it go. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs>
Takeout alcohol is still allowed, but you can't drink it in public. Other COVID-conscious dining changes are also on the wane. Restaurants and bars that put up parklets in public rights-of-way for outdoor dining must remove them by October 30th, which has always been the deadline to get them out in time for winter and snow removal. Here's Geiger. And there will be no extensions to, to that provision right now unless council authorizes something that we haven't been directed to draft on that. Other outdoor dining, however, will be allowed to stay. That includes outdoor sidewalk dining that wasn't related to the parklets. Council also agreed to extend an allowance for modifications on private property, such as yurts or other dining structures. But Geiger notes local modified liquor licenses are set to expire at the end of the month. So if you did receive a premise modification, uh, you need to check your expiration dates. Uh, State is a different issue, but if the local one, and we're certain of this, if the local one expires October 30th, if you want to continue to engage in that modification of your liquor premise, you will have to apply for and renew that modification application. Council decided to extend the allowance for private property modifications through the end of the winter season. But Councilmember Adrienne Christie also has some longer-term concerns. Theoretically, we maybe are coming out of the woods of COVID, but then people are going to want these things that they will have had for two years in the future. And I feel like we need to schedule a work session for ourselves and the community to discuss what the, like, in perpetuity looks like of a lot of these modifications. Council agrees and plans to have that longer-term discussion along with a conversation about what summer 2022 could look like sometime around February. About $400,000. That's how much the San Miguel Behavioral Health Solutions Panel is looking for to hire a new bicultural, bilingual behavioral health clinician for the region. But only about a quarter of that is going towards salary, training, and oversight for the position. The rest is for housing. So the county would purchase the home, would own the home, and then we would enter into some sort of a methodology for determining what that rent would be. That's San Miguel County Social Services Director Carol Friedrich discussing the proposal with the Board of County Commissioners this week. Hiring a bilingual bicultural clinician, she says, has been one of the panel's priorities. If this were an easy problem to solve, it would have been solved by the many organizations that have been trying to recruit a Spanish-speaking clinician for years. Really what we're finding, a huge barrier for um, really some of the clinicians we've tried to hire um, to support behavioral health, but in particular the Spanish-speaking community is housing. Friedrich says they hope to purchase a home to rent to the clinician in the Norwood area. Funding would come from a mix of sources, including money from the federal government's COVID stimulus bill. The clinician would serve the local Spanish-speaking community in partnership with existing providers, including the Telluride and Uncompagre Medical Centers. The county commissioners support the proposal and urged Friedrich to move forward with the plan. It takes a village to raise a child, they say. So why not gather as a village to prepare? The Wilkinson Public Library and Bright Futures are hosting a community baby shower this Sunday for new and expecting parents to meet other parents from the community as well as local health and child care providers. There will also be refreshments, a raffle, and a baby gear and clothing exchange. 
plus an intro to baby sign language and an infant CPR demonstration. More information is available at telluridelibrary.org. The community baby shower will take place Sunday, October 10th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the Wilkinson Public Library. Some areas along the Yampa River are reopening to fishing after voluntary closures were put in place earlier this summer. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is removing the fishing closures on the Elk River at the Christina State Wildlife Area and the Yampa River from Chuck Lewis State Wildlife Area downstream through Yampa River State Park and the Yampa River State Wildlife Area. However, a mandatory fishing closure along a roughly half-mile section of the Yampa River downstream of Stagecoach Reservoir Dam will stay in place due to extreme low flow conditions. A voluntary fishing closure will also stay in place where the Fish Creek and Yampa River meet due to suboptimal flow conditions. In a press release, CPW notes that closure will stay in place through October 20th. With home values skyrocketing, Colorado voters have a chance to significantly lower their property tax bills this November. But Proposition 120 is more complex than it seems. KOTO Scott Franz has more on how this question is pitting conservatives, educators, and state lawmakers against one another in a high-stakes battle that may stretch on even after Election Day. Financial analyst Chris Brown says it would take more than a single beer to explain all the nuances of Proposition 120 to the average voter. It's touted as a permanent 9% property tax cut for business and homeowners, but... It really might be the case that what voters see on their ballot and what they vote on is not the final outcome in terms of the impact to their tax bill. Brown is a researcher at the nonpartisan Common Sense Institute based in Greenwood Village. The state legislature this year passed Senate Bill 293, which intentionally changed and altered some of the property tax classifications. This resulted in a lowering of property taxes by about $200 million for the next fiscal year. But knowing that this measure was in the works, the bill also had a side effect, limiting who could actually get a tax break if Proposition 120 passed. This appears to be a poison pill against the proposition. Republicans, including Senator Ray Scott of Grand Junction, were concerned lawmakers were trying to water down a tax cut being pursued by voters. If taxpayers, single-family homeowners in particular, approve it, only multifamily property owners get a 9% break. But Senator Chris Hansen, a Denver Democrat, defended the legislation, saying single-family homeowners should be treated differently because governments tend to spend more money providing services to them, from trash collection to firefighters. And some studies have shown that as much as a 50% reduction in capital investment and a 15% reduction in service costs for high-density developments. In other words, letting single-family homeowners get another tax break would result in a much bigger hit to the state's checkbook. Again, layers of complexity here. Which brings us back to today. Chris Brown says the battle over Proposition 120 may not end on Election Day. If voters approve this, the, the final impact will be determined in courts. 
And this is already on the mind of conservative activist Michael Fields. As the author of Proposition 120, he says he would probably be the one suing the legislature if it passes. This is money that is not in people's pockets then. They're spending on taxes. You know, what other things do they struggle with when, when government you know, has bounced back quicker than anybody expected? Fields says property values have gone up rapidly during the pandemic adding that lawmakers did not go far enough with their tax cuts. But others are involved, including local governments, fire departments, and school boards, all stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars if voters agree to the ballot question. Studies suggest it would hurt the most in resort counties like Pitkin and Eagle. It just exacerbates the inequities that exist within our communities. That's Amy Baca Olert. She leads the Colorado Education Association, the state's largest teachers union. Those communities that have been able to go to their voters and to ask for voters to, um, you know, raise their taxes to support their local school districts. And even when that happens in some communities, because they have a lower property tax base, it's not the same as that happening in, you know, say maybe the neighboring community. But many are struggling because of the pandemic, and supporters like Fields say they need relief now. I think about people on fixed incomes, seniors, people that are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, a big increase in property taxes can have a big impact in them keeping their houses over the long term. Certainly, we have all struggled, especially recently through COVID. But Olert hopes voters will also think about the ripple effects. I would hope that people would take the time, um, I guess, as any good educator would say, to do your homework, to really understand what are the unintended consequences of voting on something like this could have. If Proposition 120 is approved and courts do not overturn the law the legislature passed, Chris Brown says the immediate impact of 120 would shrink from $1 billion in cuts to about $150 million, and only commercial, multifamily, and lodging properties would get tax breaks. Regardless, Brown says school districts would be shielded somewhat by the billions in federal coronavirus relief money they've been getting. Now, it's not a perfect one-to-one match in terms of being able to use those COVID dollars in the same way. However, a lot of that money can be used to fill priorities and needs. Opponents of 120 counter that permanent tax cuts could reduce the state's ability to respond to wildfires that are larger because of ongoing drought. To cushion the blow, supporters included a provision letting the state keep up to $25 million annually that it otherwise could not spend because of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, or Tabor Amendment. I'm Scott Franz in Denver. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Friday should be mostly cloudy with a high in the mid-50s and a 30% chance of showers and wind gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Friday night expects showers and thunderstorms with a low around 40 degrees. Saturday calls for rain and snow with a high in the mid-40s and wind gusts as high as 35 miles per hour. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around freezing and a 40% chance of snow. This has been the news for Thursday, October 7th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hi, this is Robin Kondraki, and I'm the Advocate Coordinator at the San Miguel Resource Center. 
We are offering two free victim advocacy trainings, one in Norwood at the Lone Cone Library and the other in Telluride at the Wilkinson Public Library. Both trainings are held for three consecutive weeks and have an online and in-person component, totaling to a 40-hour comprehensive program. We cover a wide variety of topics, including domestic violence, sexual assault, victim advocacy, trauma and mental health, child advocacy, and more. Upon completion of the training, participants will become certified victim advocates in the state of Colorado. A certified victim advocate may volunteer with SMRC by taking shifts on the 24-hour helpline, though volunteering is not a requirement. Being a certified victim advocate provides you with an incredibly unique opportunity to help members of your community who need your support, even if they may appear to be completely fine on the surface level. Intimate partner violence has always been present in our region, but the pandemic has unfortunately exacerbated the circumstances that can lead to this type of violence. Now more than ever, you have the ability to potentially change somebody's life as a victim advocate in our community. Our volunteer advocates are essential to the success of SMRC, and we are incredibly grateful for any help offered to us. Volunteers are the reason the 24-hour helpline is able to exist, which serves so many individuals regionally who may be in crisis. SMRC would love to invite you into our volunteer community. If you are interested in registering for either the Norwood or Telluride training, or if you would like more information on the training, please email me at advocates at smrcco.org or give me a call at 970-728-5842, extension 3 pound. Spots are limited, so be sure to register soon. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.